Come with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at one another and say, by grace you have been saved. You have been saved by grace. See, if you remember last week I said, God completely saved us by his grace. And when God completely saved us by his grace, there's nothing you or me or the devil can do to undo what the Lord has done. So salvation that you have received, that you have received by grace, cannot be stolen. No matter what your circumstances say today, no matter what your spiritual meter says today, how holy you are, in spite of all of that, salvation cannot be lost because it is completely a gift of God given to us in grace. But what can be lost is the joy of our salvation. So what the devil can steal from us is not our salvation, but he can steal the reality of that salvation. He can steal that experience of that salvation. That's why the psalmist says, David says in Psalms 51, Oh Lord, I pray that you will restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we come to church. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we pray. So that we stay in the reality of what God has already done for us. So it's not because of prayer that we are getting into salvation. No, it's because of prayer that you're telling yourself, you're making yourself aware of what the Lord has already done 2,000 years ago. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Why I'm saying this is, today I want you to declare this with your mouth and say, devil, I'm not going to give you the pleasure of stealing the joy of my salvation. I might be feeling sick, my loved one is sick on the bed, uh, um, my, my things are not coming in the office, the promotion that I was expecting is not happening, everything that I was longing for, it's not going according to the plan, but devil, I will not give you the pleasure of stealing the joy of my salvation. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? So Paul here says, we were dead in our sins, in our trespasses. We were dead. There was nothing that we could do to have come back to God in our own effort. There was nothing. We could not have even come up with the concept of getting to God. There was no way. Why? Because you were dead. You can't ask a dead person to, hey, sing the song. I'm singing in G scale. Will you sing the song? You can't ask a dead person. A dead person is dead. That's why verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love that he has loved for us, right? What did he do? He made us alive. He made you alive. He made you alive. He raised you up. He made you seated with Christ. And now he says, now choose. You're alive, you're raised up, 
You're seated with Christ at the right hand of God, far above every power, every rule, every principality, every sin, every sickness. Now God says, choose. What do you choose? Do you choose to stay in this reality? Or do you choose to stay in your past reality? It's a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. See, the devil is not after our salvation because he knows that that is not something that he can steal from us. The devil is after the choice. He's after that choice because he knows that if he can steal that choice from us, he can steal this reality from us. This reality of being seated with Christ far above every power, every rule, every authority. Hallelujah. Verse 7, read with me, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want you to see the sequence of events that has happened. Okay? In Jesus, the sequence of events that has happened. We were dead. That was our reality. How were we dead? We chose. We chose to be dead. Okay? That was our reality. We were dead. Now see the sequence of events. He made us alive, number one. He raised us up, number two. Made us seated with Christ, number three. Why did he do all of that? Make us alive, raise us up. Now he has seated us with Christ. We are at the same level as Christ is. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. You are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. You have as much inheritance as Jesus has, you and me also have. You are co-heirs with Christ. Yes? Okay? So you're seated with Christ. Why? Verse 7. So that, say with me, so that. Why are you seated with Christ? So that in the coming ages, what is the coming ages? Next century or in the coming years? In the forthcoming years, in the forthcoming time, tomorrow, next week, day after, today, okay? So that in the coming ages, he might, who? Who is he? God, okay? God might show the immeasurable. Does it say limited? Does it say finite? Talks about infinite, immeasurable, unlimited, what? Riches of His grace. Poverty of His grace. Riches of His grace. I, I want you to imagine this, okay? Have a picture. Last, last week we were talking about imagination, right? So imagine with me as I'm speaking. God is doing all of this so that He can show in the coming ages the immeasurable riches of His grace. Why did the Lord... Take all the suffering, go through all the suffering of carrying the cross, being on the cross, dying. Why did he do all of that? So that you and me can be seated with him and can experience the immeasurable riches of his grace. What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Say with me, unmerited favor. That's one definition, okay? Unmerited favor means... There's nothing that you have done to earn. It's unmerited. 
You know, a lot of us get admission in college because of merit. But some of us get due to it's unmerited. It's unmerited favor. Paul is saying, so that in the coming ages, God might show the unlimited, immeasurable, infinite riches of his unmerited favor or grace. How, how is he doing it? In what form? What is the form in how he's showing his grace? In kindness. Not in anger, not in wrath, not in um, distraught and, you know, uh, displeasure, but in kindness. In kindness. So why did God save you? He saved you so that he could show more of his grace. When you see the cross and you say that's the epitome of grace, I just want to tell you that was just the beginning of God just warming up. He was a starter. He has more for you. If you look at the cross and you say, hey, that's God's grace for me, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that was just the beginning. It's just the beginning. You haven't even seen what he has for you. There's so much more. There's so much more. In fact, the thing is, God was always good. He was always good. It's not like in the Old Testament, he was angry and suddenly he had a shift in his mood. You know, he was, what do you call that disease? Schizophrenic? Bipolar? He was not, he's not bipolar. He was always good. But the thing is, it takes us the cross to see the goodness of God. It's not that after cross, God became good. Oh, now I can be good to you. No, it takes the cross for us to see that God was always good. John chapter 1, John writes like this, No one has seen God except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of God. So these accounts, these pictures of God that we have in our hearts, which has been told to us by Moses, David, Job, Joshua, all of these, they are nice people, but they never got the perfect picture of God. Only one person got the perfect picture and his name is Jesus and that's why he came from heaven to say, hey, you guys got a wrong picture, let me change that picture. He's always been good. He's always been good. He's a good father. That's why he taught us, he taught us to say, hey, don't, don't just call him Elohim and Adonai and all of that. That is good, but call him father because that's more intimate. He is your father. Would you call your father CEO and director even though he is a CEO director? Would you call him that? No, you will call him father because that's more intimate. That's what your relationship with him is. So Jesus was changing the picture of God in our hearts through the cross. So he's like, hey, you don't believe that God loves you? You don't believe that God really cares for you? you? You think that it's your sacrifice that makes you feel accepted? If that's what it takes, if that's what it takes for you to see the blood, to believe that God is pleased with you, have my blood. Let me shed my blood. That's why the author of Hebrews says, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience once and for all. Evil conscience once and for all. The evil conscience that says, hey, God is angry at you. God is upset with you. God is displeased with you. God has, does not want to do anything with you. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience and says, hey, come. Come boldly 
to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. So today I want to give you a good news. If today you feel that you are distressed, you're discouraged, you're disappointed, you are in the right place because the blood of Jesus can cleanse your evil conscience and can tell you that God who gave his only begotten son, he is just warming up. He loves you and he wants to love you more. He wants to show more of his infinite, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. In kindness. In kindness, that is, that is the heart of the Father for us. He wants to show more of his goodness, more of his grace, more of his kindness towards us in grace, towards us in Jesus. That's his heart for us. Are you with me? And this is something that the devil does not like. He knows this. He knows that God's heart for you is good. He knows that the intention of the Father for you is perfect, is pleasing. He knows that. That's why he will keep on distracting us from the Father. So he'll put a, he'll throw a fiery dart. He'll say, hey, God is not that good. How can God be so good? Look at yourself. Your throat is down. How can God be so good? Look at yourself. You did not get that promotion. You've been praying for so long. How can God be so good? Look, look, at, look, at, look at your family. Your family is still the same. They haven't changed a bit. How can God be so good? So you see what, what the devil does? He throws these darts to distract us from what the Lord is doing. He throws these facts on us to tell us, to distract us, to steal that joy from our lives. Okay? So I want to give you one strategy. When the devil throws these darts at you, when, the, when he throws these thoughts at you, when he throws these negative emotions, negative thoughts, negative energy, whatever you want to call it, negative pictures, negative imagination, one strategy to fight against it is Psalms 23 verse 5. Read with me. Psalms 23 verse 5. Psalms 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. One strategy, one of the strategies, I've given you so many strategies, remember? They rebuke the wind, change the imagination of your heart, stand firm. One of the strategies fighting the devil is to feast at the Lord's table. Say with me, to feast at the Lord's table. See, yeah, to feast at the Lord's table. I know at least this you like. Nobody likes to do prayer and fasting, but at least to feast at the Lord's table, right? One of the strategies is to feast at the Lord's table. This whole week, I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to share? This is the only verse I got. So this is the only verse that I'll share with you. Stay with me, okay? It says, he prepares a table before me. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine this. He prepares a table. So imagine a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So there's, a, there's an elaborate table that has three-course meal or a seven-course meal, you decide, okay? There's an elaborate table that God is preparing. 
in the presence of your enemies. It's a weird picture. Don't you think it's a weird picture? Shouldn't we be feasting after God has defeated the enemies? No? Or shouldn't we be feasting away from the enemies? But, but the Lord is so adamant about preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. Today, if you're facing your enemies, your enemies could be insecurity, your enemies could be depression, discouragement, disappointment, fear, death, sickness, whatever your enemy is. Today you have a choice to either see the enemy or to see the table that the Lord is preparing. You have a choice. You're crying out, okay? Lord, help me! And the Lord is, yeah, I'm preparing a table. I'm preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies are all around you right now. They've surrounded you. But there's a table for you to feast. Looks impossible, right? Looks impossible. Not for me. If the biryani is there, I don't care who is around me. Especially if it is mutton biryani. I don't care. I don't care who is around me. I'll feast on the food. The Lord is preparing a table and is asking us to focus on what is on the table than what is around us. Hallelujah. So I asked the Lord yesterday, Lord, why feasting in the presence of my enemies? Why not? Why not you defeat them and then we celebrate? Huh? Or why not when they are away? Why not in the seclusion of, oh, let's have a date night together, candlelight dinner. But why in the presence of my enemies? And the Lord showed me one scripture portion. You with me? Psalms 2. Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, your enemies must, in comparison to this will be nothing, okay? But see, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. What are they saying? Let us burst their bounds apart and cast away their cords from us. But look at the response of God. Your enemies have come against you, right? They have made plans. These are like influential people who have the resources to destroy you. They're coming against you. They, have, they are saying, oh, let's just finish him off, right? Look at the response of God, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Do you know why the Lord wants you to be focused on what is at the table? Why does he prepare the table before you in the presence of your enemies? So that he can teach you to laugh in the midst of the enemies. Amen. To look at your enemies and laugh. To look at your insecurities, the issues that are, these big mountains that just seems like Goliath, you know. They'll not move. They'll, they'll, they are, they're unhinged. He wants you to laugh. Feast. Learn to laugh. 
because he who sits in the heavens laughs. Where are you sitting? You were made alive. You were raised up and you were seated with him in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. You are in the heavens. He wants you to laugh. It's a crazy strategy. How do you, how do you laugh? How do you laugh at a bill that you just got? You know, which is like, this is like my end of the month. If you feast at the table, you will laugh. Come back, come back to Psalms 23. I want to show you something. Psalms 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The beauty is after you start feasting, then comes the anointing. Anointing does not come before feasting. So the Lord says, hey, yeah, I see your enemies are there surrounding you. Eat. Just eat. As you're feasting, after you've, after you've feasted from the Lord's table, then comes the anointing. Do you know what an anointing is? An anointing is a, uh, how do I say, it's, it's a, it's, let's say for example, in, in the time of Israel, uh, in the Old Testament, anointing was done as a ritual to say that God has ordained them for a particular purpose. So only three kinds of people were, were anointed. The kings, the priest, and the prophets. So the person who was anointed, you know, they would put a oil over their head and the oil will overflow. It just meant that they were carrying the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord was upon them to do a divine task that they were assigned. So only three kinds of people were anointed in the Old Testament. The king, the priests, and the prophets because they were representatives of God. So you see when David was uh, anointed as a king, Saul was anointed as a king. You will see priests anointed as king, or priests priest anointed as priests. So anointing showed that they were representing God on the earth. After you feast from the table comes the anointing for you to break every yoke that comes against you. See, I'll show you something, okay, from John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. John chapter 8. Verse 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, who were just beginning to believe, okay? Jesus said to the Jews, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'll show you a couple of things. Highlight the phrase, abide in my word. Abide in my word is, the picture is similar to feasting. Abide means to stay, to remain. It is, it is similar to feasting. It's like, you know how we partake from food? Where the food goes inside of you and becomes part of you and gives you energy. That's abiding. And, and, Je and Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What is the sign of being a disciple? A sign of being a disciple is somebody who abides in the word of Christ. If you can abide in the word, you are his disciple. If you cannot abide, you are not his disciple. Then he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, truth has the power to set you free. But unless you don't know the truth, it cannot set you free. 
It is the knowledge of the truth that sets you free. Jesus has the power to set you free, but knowing him will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is the truth. So if, if, if you replace the truth with Jesus, it says, and you will know Jesus and Jesus will set you free. It is knowing Jesus that will set you free. That's why we come to church. That's why we pray. That's why we, we are reading God's word so that we can know Jesus. Because it is the knowledge of Jesus that will set us free. So that verse in Psalms 23 verse 5 where it says, you, God will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It is to know Jesus in the midst of my enemies to know Jesus, to feast on the goodness of the Lord, knowing Jesus. To feast upon what the Lord has done from the cross to the time how you are right now. Is the cross the only good thing that the Lord has done in your life? Talk to me. Is the cross the only good thing that the Lord has done in your life? Immeasurable. And there's so much more. Feasting. Feasting means to know Jesus, to reflect on his goodness in the presence of your enemies. So if you have a bill that is overdue and you're, you're, you're wondering how, how to pay that, the Lord is saying, feast on my goodness. Was I faithful in the past? Then I'll be faithful again. If you're going through a sickness, feast on his goodness. Did I heal you in the past? I'll heal you again. Any difficulty that you're going through, any circumstance the devil is bringing against you to feast in the goodness of the Lord, to know Jesus in that very opportune moment. Do you know in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to his people through different names. Yeah, there's so many names. Do you know why he had different names? Because those people needed that name, needed the revelation of that name for that season that they were in. They needed to see that. So God reveals himself as Yahweh Ire to Abraham. And why? Because Abraham needed to know that, yes, he's a God who provides. So whenever God has revealed himself, it is for our benefit. So when you're feasting in the goodness of the Lord, in the presence of your enemies, is to see a revelation of God that you have not seen before. Yes, it is Jesus. The aspect of Jesus, especially in that circumstance. So that you can look at the enemy and laugh. It's not just simply, you know, it's not a formula kind of a thing that the next time a bill comes, you just start laughing. It's not a formula. It comes out of a revelation. It comes out of a revelation knowing Jesus. So you feast in the goodness of the Lord. You, you have a revelation. That's why you sit and pray and you read God's word. And you, you fellowship and you declare and you confess those scriptures. And then you get up and you say, yes, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I have the faith to go through this. Hallelujah. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, having done all, when he's talking about spiritual warfare, when you're fighting with demons and evils, evil thoughts and all of that, you know, sometimes it's very overwhelming that it goes beyond our control, right? Paul says, having done all, stand firm. And I'm, and I'm giving you a practical way in how you can stand firm. When everything seems way beyond your control, you know, it just seems so overwhelming. You don't even have 
the strength to pray. Have you been there? You don't even have the strength to pray. Forget the desire. You don't have the strength. Right? You're, you're absolutely weak. One of the ways is partaking from the Lord's table. Partaking from the Lord's table. I'll show you something. First Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Whoever, say with me, whoever. Whoever means whoever, anybody, okay? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. <clears throat> so Paul is giving some instructions on how to partake from the Lord's table. He's giving some instructions. The reason why he's giving some instructions is the Corinthians church, they were making a mess of the Lord's table. And the problem was uh, the rich people who, who would come early because you know they were rich, uh, they would finish up all the bread and the juice. And the poor people who would work late and who would come, they will not get anything. So there was a class problem that was happening. And for that, Paul had to set this right. And he, the first thing he says, hey, if you're hungry, eat at home and come. Lord's table is not to feed your hunger. Lord's table is holy, right? That's one. Second thing, he's giving us some directions and how we should take the Lord's table. Did you know the Lord's table is not for holy people? The Lord's table is not for holy people. Who needs a doctor? <laughs> Who needs a doctor? The sick. Who needs Jesus? The one who's messed up. Who needs to partake from the Lord's table? See, if you were holy without the Lord's table, why would you need Jesus? If you were holy without the Holy Spirit, why would you need the Holy Spirit? Okay? So this whole idea that we have in the church, you know, confess all your sins, do it quickly so that you can be made holy and then you can partake from the Lord. See, come, come to this verse. It says, whoever, whoever, whoever means whoever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. It doesn't talk about you have to become worthy. It talks about the way you drink from this, the manner has to be worthy. It's not talking about your unworthiness. It's talking about how you are partaking from this should be worthy. Are you hearing me? How you're partaking from it. Why? Because these guys in Corinthians church, how they were partaking from it, they would just come and eat and drink without realizing, without discerning the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus. That's an unworthy manner. So if you don't know that you're partaking from the blood of Jesus and you don't discern the body of Christ, then you're partaking in an unworthy manner, no matter how holy you are. But if you understand that it is through this bread, Jesus said, this is my flesh. And if you eat of this, you shall have life. If you believe in what God has done in Jesus through the cross, if you can believe that, then no matter what your circumstances are, you can partake from it because it's worthy manner. See, the church has been so focused on the outwardly things, right? 
you wear the right clothes, you say the right stuff, you, you know, all, all the outwardly stuff. But God is always looking at our heart. So if the intention of your heart is, Lord, I need, I need you. I need you and I can't do it without you. It is by your grace. I believe that it is through your cross, through the blood of Jesus that I'm saved. If you can believe that, you can partake from the cup and you can partake from the bread. It's powerful. When you partake from that bread and from that drink, when you partake from that, you're feasting from the Lord's table. You're feasting from the Lord's table. So when everything else has failed, when you can't pray at all, take a bread, take a juice, whatever you can find, and just say, thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice. I partake from this discerning your body, that this body was given for me so that I can have life. And thank you for this blood, that because of this blood, that today I can come into your throne of grace with boldness and confidence. When you partake from it, you're feasting at the Lord's table. You're feasting at the Lord's table. Let me show you something. John chapter 6, verse 56, okay? I'll just show you one verse. But if you read the entire chapter of John chapter 6, you will see this being repeated again and again. But this particular portion, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what does he do? He abides in me and I in him. What is the sign of being a disciple? Somebody who abides. How do you abide? Simple. From his flesh, drink from his blood. It's powerful. When you partake from the Lord's table, it looks simple, right? It looks simple, but it's powerful. There's a change of reality that is happening. But if you do it without understanding, Paul says there are many who have partaken and have, and have slept early, meaning who have died. But if you partake from it, understanding the significance, understanding the holiness of it, and you partake in a worthy manner, you will have life. Because Jesus said, whoever eats of me and drinks of me will have life. Will have life. You know, there is a pattern, similar pattern in the Old Testament also. When Moses was bringing out the Israelites, you know, the ten plagues, the last plague was of the firstborn dying, right? The angel of, the, angel of death com coming around every house. You know, how were they protected? They were protected because the Lord told Moses, take a lamb, right? He gave specific instructions to them. So if they did not follow the instructions, they will die, no matter how holy they were. They had to follow specific instructions, worthy manner. So they were given specific instructions that this lamb has to be so and so, da 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 da, right? If he fulfills the criteria, Kill the lamb during this time. Four days he had to be kept. Kill the lamb during twilight. Once you kill the lamb, roast it. Don't boil it. Roast it. Specific instructions. Roast it. And the blood of the lamb, you put it on the doorpost so that when the angel of the, angel of the Lord comes, he sees the blood and he'll see it as a sign of protection. And he will not harm you. 
the blood protects and the bread gives life it's a symbol it's that that picture the passover is a symbol of what the lord has done on the cross and we are continuing with that at the lord's table so i want you to understand in your house you are the priest of the house like in the church i i i lead you in the lord's table right i lead you in your house you are the priest of your house peter says you are chosen royal priest you are a priest you are a royal priest so in your house you are a royal priest so don't let the lord's table be only exclusive on sundays whenever you feel distraught you feel hopeless and you feel like there's absolutely nothing that i can do come to the lord's table because there's power you know why i think the lord did that the lord showed us that as an example is so that we can we can have something that we can touch touch and taste and see that if this is real then what the bible says is real it's a powerful it's a powerful way to change our minds and our hearts so i'm not just talking it giving you some motivational talk okay please understand i'm trying to tell you you can taste the spiritual reality by simply humbling yourself and partaking from the lord's table do it in a worthy manner understanding that this is holy understanding discerning the body of jesus and understanding why the blood of christ was shed for you discerning that do it in a worthy manner it will give you life the lord stable will give you life amen so what's the strategy when the lord puts you in the midst of the enemies what's the strategy feast feast at the stable feast at the stable as you partake from that you have to be grateful otherwise this will not work right you have to be grateful remember all that the lord has done for you starting from the cross huh because god says i am doing this i have made you seated with me so that i can show you more 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 of my goodness more of my kindness more of my mercy more of my love so as you partake from this you're remembering the cross but you're also remembering the goodness of the lord from the cross to the time that you are taking it and you can believe that if god can do it in the past he can do it again he can do it again he can do it again he does not have to do it exactly the same but he can do it again amen man can we close our eyes thank you jesus father we thank you for this privilege to feast at your table what a privilege it is father we were unworthy but you gave us the privilege to feast at your table and father we pray that you will teach us you will teach us not to take this table for granted but you will teach us help us understand the severity the holiness the sanctity of what this means to discern your body your body was given so that we could have life and your blood was given so that we could have protection we will be protected 
Father, I just want to declare this over everyone who is listening, that whoever drinks of my flesh, whoever drinks of my blood, will have life. I pray that we will have life. We will have God, abundant God kind of life. We receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.